We're meeting the Green Knight at Nebworth and we're helping the many saints of Newark take down a starling. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect and this is Off Screen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Groovy. Welcome to Offscreen. Um, hello, another week. I'm happy to say it's been a relatively sunny week here in the UK. So maybe some of you haven't been sat in the cinema, but don't worry, we've got you covered. That's what we do. So we are kicking off with quite a well-known TV franchise, just a little thing that has spawned into a prequel kind of, you know, the the setting the scene origin story of one of the most famous people on TV or, you know, RIP, James Gandolfini. Of course, we're talking about The Sopranos and we're talking about The Many Saints of Newark, which is one that you went to go and see, Van, this week. Yeah, this is a prequel movie, as you say. This comes from Alan Taylor, of all people, who, you know, directed uh, Thor The Dark World, directed Terminator Genesis. So there's not there's not a real big cinematic pedigree behind him. He kind of got uh, his, his sort of break in the industry as a director on Game of Thrones, of all things. But even then, he was a sort of workmanlike director. He and uh, David Chase, stalwart, you know, figurehead of The Sopranos brand, um, have now revived this. This is the prequel movie that stars Alessandro Nivola, who I haven't seen in a movie for a few years, actually. I don't remember mm. Alessandro Nivola in anything between now and Jurassic Park 3 in 2001. So, you know, it tells you something. Um, he plays Dickie Moltisanti, who is a character that we heard about in the series, but he had died before the series began. Like, he had died okay. something like 50, 15 years before we first meet Tony Soprano, and he's the, the father of uh, Chris Moltisanti, of Michael Imperioli's character. You know who played his nephew Chris in the in in the series, and uh, it, it's the story of his father, who was sort of the crown prince of the Sopranos world. He was the handsome, charismatic gangster who was gunned down in his prime, as legend tells us. Over what we didn't ever seem to quite know, although there was a point in the series where they did like present his son with his dad's killer. I think towards the end of uh, end of the series run, forget how that how worked offhand. But this is the story of Alessandro Nivola taking on that character. It turns out that his story largely takes place starting from the 1967, the long the long hot summer as it's called, and the race riots that spawned out of that that fateful time in New Jersey and the, the two or three years that followed, and also how these events form the 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 imperative years of the development of the you know the great well great to be Tony Soprano. Gotta do something about Dickie Malasani. What a blow. I know you can get anything. Look at Dickie Moltisanti. He steps up, takes care of his family, takes care of all the business. If anybody tells anybody about this, how you doing on your merit badges? I want to do all kinds of good things. It's the one thing. Pain comes from always wanting things. But what do I know? I'm a murderer. I started watching The Sopranos. I didn't really end up watching the whole mm. thing. I kind of dip in, dip out. I know there's some people who will wax lyrical about this series, saying it's the best thing that ever came to TV. Same kind of audience as what you get with your Breaking Bad audience, you know? They, if they yeah, love yeah, it, there's, there's they crossover, really love it. isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's, there's going to be a lot of excitement for this. Now, I'm going to ask you first and foremost, as someone who isn't a fully-fledged Sopranos nutcase. <laughs> mm -hmm. Will I want to go and watch this movie? 
Um, ish. Will you want to? I can't tell. I can tell you what I think you'll you'll make of it. I think mm. you'd come out of this. And if you're sort of at your level of fandom, which is to say none, or you've just never watched The Sopranos, I think you would watch The Many Saints of Newark and think this is a basically just fractionally about above average mobster movie that's got one or two mid-tier rising stars, people like Corey Stoll and John Bernthal. They're not mm-hmm. name on the poster stars, but they're people who you see in the movie. Oh, cool! It's it's Corey Stoll. Yeah, I mean, first of all, by the way, that, that's what you'll make of it if you're you're sort of not a fan. If you are a fan like me and you want to see the Sopranos movie, God, you're going to hate this one because the Sopranos oh, no. is the series that reinvented television, that, along with mm. Sex and the City, reinvented television has now gone from being this character drama to being this we're a Scorsese movie knockoff now we are the thing that we were mocking the entire time because The Sopranos was never a Scorsese movie it's very specifically not a Scorsese movie the other thing is this suffers from one of the worst examples of prequelitis I have ever seen outside of the Star Wars franchise this goes to such ridiculous extremes. This goes to the point of just endless fan service in weird little asides that have no business being there. And I laughed at them because it's amusing to see them acknowledged. But at the same time, interesting bit of irony for you. The Sopranos ended in, I think it was October 2007, which is the TV season, just about a month into the TV season that saw the writer's strike. Remember the 2000 2008? TV writer's strike, well, general writer's strike. It affected movies, it affected TV shows. The whole thing was a mess. And all TV shows at the time, a few of them, made busy work for themselves by doing needless spin-off movies. This feels, ironically, like something from that time. And we are now sort of at the tail end of COVID when we've had a break in content creation. So it's kind of weirdly in keeping. There's a sense of irony to it because The Sopranos had ended and been spared that and has now been brought back from the dead for what is effectively a hundred and something million dollar equivalent to act of Burn Notice, The Fall of Sam Axe, or 24 Redemption, or Battlestar Galactica, The Plan. You know, one of those direct-to-DVD mm. movies that serve no real function other than padding. Needless padding. And that's what this feels like. It's a shame because Alessandro Navarro is good in it, but beyond that, there's no weight to it. There's no heft, and it feels disposable. Okay. So, just very quickly, there's two things here. How is um, Vera Flaminga in this? Because there is some chat that she might be possibly on some of the shortlists for awards. Um, is she wasted in this? Um, or does she sort of sit sit quite well in it? And James Gandolfini's son, obviously a lot of hype around that. Like, uh, how how's that all played out? I don't quite think that Gandolfini Jr. has the range of his... I know he's not actually Gandolfini, he's Michael Gandolfini, isn't he? But uh, I know, but uh, Gandolfini Jr. doesn't quite have the same... Ooh, sad clown charisma that James Gandolfini Mm. always had. James Gandolfini was, and the series acknowledged it out loud and compared him to the sad clown fairly often. He doesn't quite have that. Mm. And I I don't think that we're talking about as good an understanding of the man your father was as, for instance, Ice Cube and O'Shea Jackson Jr. Definitely not that kind of thing. Or... Denzel and John David. It's not that kind of uh, performance because you know for a fact they could walk in their father's shoes effortlessly again tomorrow. No research Mm -hmm. needed. And the problem, and this permeates the film throughout, I want to be really quick because we've got talked about the styling, is there's too much impersonation. uh, Billy Magnuson as Paulie, for instance, it's an impersonation. The guy doing Sill, and that's another thing, like we didn't need an origin story for Sill's hairpiece. Didn't need to exist. Um... (sighs) 
it's all impersonations and it feels awkward and corny and cheesy and forced and it takes you out of the realism that was The Sopranos. I think it's a massive waste of potential. Capably made, three-star film, great performance from Alessandra Nivola, what little of it there is, but it's a muddled film, it doesn't understand what its own focus is and it doesn't need to exist. Oh, what a shame. Okay, let's move on to something very different. On Netflix is... uh... The Starling, which stars um, Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, and Kelvin Klein, and a Starling. <laughs> and a Starling. And, and, and Chris Starling. O'Dowd. And there's a Santa, Santa Clarita diet reunion in here because we get Timothy Oliphant and Skyler Gazondo. So happy day, <laughs> justice for the Santa Clarita diet fans. Go on. So this is very much not a movie in that in the tone of me delivering that news. So please. No, absolutely not. Yeah. So um, it's Chris O'Dowd and, and Melissa McCarthy are a couple who've suffered a tragedy. They've lost a child um, and uh, they are both dealing it with it in very different ways. Chris O'Dowd puts himself into a an institution to kind of help himself get through that. Um, meanwhile, his wife is at home trying to just come to terms with everything and she seeks a bit of solace through a vet played by Chris Klein um, initially because she gets knocked out by a starling. <laughs> I thought maybe we could go up to the lake again when you get home, you know, for the fourth. Sure. That's fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be just like it was, like nothing ever happened. I didn't say that. No, no I know. I... No, but that is why I'm here, isn't it? I'm, I'm supposed to just go back to being my good old self and we can all get on with our lives. It's just going to take time, that's all. No, don't, don't. Please. Man, you, you really think that time is going to make all of this okay? It's going to make us okay? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we can't stay here like this. This is not good. I know but I don't know how I fit anymore. You've done the same thing I have, by the way, Bex, which mm. is, I've been doing this all week, which is you've said Calvin Klein and Chris Klein already. And Kevin I've Klein, do... have I? Kevin, you've said Calvin and Chris so far. I've been doing the same damn thing all week. <laughs> Did I? Oh, my goodness. Yep. Well, Kevin Klein all the way. Because um, I miss if... Kevin Klein so much. Yes, and sorry, apologies if I said that. It just rolled off the tongue with all the other clients. Um, I can I just I, can I just say though, I want to see yeah. I want to see Kevin Klein star in his own Street Fighter origin story spin-off movie, where instead of Chris <laughs> Klein, because that would yeah. have been just awesome. But go on, the Starlings. We've not got long on this. So take it away. We've got a minute. Go on, take no, it away. I, I I quite like this film. I thought it was for me. It's a departure from some of the Melissa McCarthy movies of late, and I quite liked that. Mm. It's a softer sort of more dramatic role for her. There's obviously some comedic elements in it. Um, lovely performance from Chris O'Dowd and Kevin Klein is excellent in it. And it's kind of like, it's a soft Sunday afternoon mm. movie, isn't it? It's, it's one that's an easy watch. It's only like an hour and 45 minutes. But it's yeah. got a lot of heart to it. I enjoyed it. It's got dramatic weight as well. Like there's some serious mm. emotion packed yeah. into this. This will take you through the ringer. But it is very much a Netflix film. So like you say, Sunday afternoon film as well. I would say comparatively as well, it's a Netflix film. Like this isn't a theatrical. You can't see it theatrically. But you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't watch this on cinema screen and think of it the same way. Um, but yeah, I was quite moved by it. It was something quite mm. different. Uh, the director and Melissa McCarthy worked together on St. Vincent about five years ago, I think, oh. with uh, Bill Murray. Bill Murray yeah. and the kid, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. And yeah. this has sort of a similar vibe, but it's a bit more sombre. So, so that's the Starling. That's on Netflix. Thumbs up, thumbs down from you, Bex. Go on. Oh, thumbs up for that one. I think, thumbs you know, up, considering thumbs. that you're going to get it free for Netflix on Netflix, <laughs> it's well worth the watch. <laughs> exactly. You can't ask for your money, Beck. Bex. 
welcome back to off screen so we took you all the way across to the sopranos back again with the starling and now we're taking you back to medieval times in fact we're taking you back to the time of the knights of the round table um and dev patel and alicia vikander we're talking about the green knight it's the story of sir gawain gawain i think he's gawain is he and he's Gawain. let's just call him gawain Gawain. Or that, okay. or, or that or just we'll call him let's call him Dwayne with a G. So he's Gwayne. He's Gwayne. Let's just he's call Gwayne. him Gwayne. Okay. He's, he's Gwayne. Gwayne. He's played by Dev Patel. He's basically yeah. King Arthur's wayward nephew who goes <laughs> <Yeah>. on <laughs> who goes on a quest to confront the Green Knight, which is a gigantic emerald-skinned stranger and known as the tester of men. And this, as mm. you can imagine, is a very, very strange, wonderful, whimsical romp through the world of medieval fantasy. Here's a clip of a talking fox. Why do you stop me? <laughs> I cannot tarry. You will find no mercy, no Abian. What witchcraft is this? No witchcraft. He you seek is as wild as I, but knows no Measure. I know what I face. If any man truly knew, he would bear his shame happily and turn away head held high to end his song as he saw fit. His secret would be safe with me. Are you this man? No. Look, I've got to be honest, both Bex and I have seen the movie and it makes as much sense to us, that clip. So, you know, like we literally, we both creased with laughter after the words, here's a clip of a talking fox, because we knew exactly what was coming. This is deranged. I mean, this has been really anticipated because it came out a while ago and it was supposed to come out a while ago in the US. They yeah. did all the press shows and everything, I think. They were starting to roll it out on a limited basis because it's A24 that were putting it out. And then I think due to COVID, there was a bunch of delays. It got shunted back and it's, and it's been really anticipate the whole time um this is also it's interesting dev patel seems to have this this knack for revisionist history uh what do they call it colorblind casting uh, yeah, yeah yeah and he's yeah, really he... good in them he's always great in like uh copperfield wasn't it the the, yeah, the armando yeah, yeah. one love it this is bonkers this plays like nicholas cage's mandy this feels like a nicholas cage movie that happens to start dev patel yeah, I, yeah, and I, I don't know what I make of it because you know yeah. after that after that clip, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Adam Driver and uh, <laughs> you know a few others popped out to sing "I Love You" and then kill me now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's um, it is bonkers. I do love a bit mm. of like you know old fable, ye olde kind of bonkersness, like Game of Thrones style. It doesn't quite work in the same way as Game of Thrones does. It just takes you in a completely different direction, doesn't it? But that's it. Speaking because you've mentioned that with that that Game of Thrones, the style of that. Right. So the interesting interesting thing I found about this was first of all, I loved the aesthetic of it early on. It has yeah. a very distinctly creepy vibe. The the A twenty four label starts to make sense very early on, and also mm -hmm. it does seem to share things in common with, for instance, the witch. If you remember that yes. a few years ago. Yeah, I love. And the then witch, you yeah. realise who's playing the Green Knight, and it's Ralph Heinz, uh, Ralph uh, Ralph Einstein. Who, of mm -hmm. course, we saw in, in everybody talking about Jamie recently as the dad. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Sean Harris and Kate Dickey as King Arthur and Guinevere. And you start looking at the, the cast that are uh, assembled around this. You're like, okay, I'm getting the vibe that you're going for and applying, you know, that 
palette, that aesthetic, that look and that feel to something that's then more fantastical. That is quirky and weird and absolutely a justifiable reason for this movie. Like, go and see this movie purely for that because it's like nothing else. Like, you have to give it to it. It is quite unique. There, and you will be talking about it. And there are... Because so much of it is so abstract and weird and kooky and, and, you know, has that, we're doing a visual story, here's a music video for 15 minutes, but yeah, you're not yeah. going to mind because it's weirdly compelling. Go and see it for all this weirdness because we, I think you'll talk about it. If you've got, you're going to have one or, you're going to have that quirky mate who's really into this. Yeah. And it's yeah. a movie, you know what I mean? Like you're going to find yourself at a dinner party. Yeah. Yeah. But you're going to find yourself at that dinner party with that one person. Yeah, and then as and then if you've seen it, then you could both have something to talk about. Otherwise, you wouldn't have anything to talk about. Um, I, I, yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. I think mm. I had a few problems with the fact that it is so dark visually, and mm. I struggled a bit with that. Yeah, it's it's for me. I mean, you know, if you were to watch this at home, for instance, when it eventually you know comes out on the ability to do that, you're going to have to make sure you watch it at night. Otherwise, you're just not going to see anything. Um, it does, and, and and for that reason, it kind of. I think there was another film a few years ago that I had a problem with because of that consistent darkness, and it's just like solo? I wanted to maybe. For me, I don't was, know. For me, for me, it was solo a Star Wars story every time. You can barely see that movie. But also, um, you know, the last episode of Game of Thrones of so many complaints about <laughs> yeah. how dark that was. So there's comparisons there and it kind of just really grates on you. But mm. look, I think Dev Patel's great in it. I think Alicia Vikander is very good in this. Everyone that you've mentioned, like it's a solid cast. It's just bonkers. And that's the yeah. thing. And some people, you'll read the reviews and they'll be very divisive. Some people will be like, this is absolute trash. Some people will be like, this is amazing. It's it's a I would describe it by saying it's a movie you should absolutely watch while drunk but wine drunk specifically if you know yes. what I mean like like that it's 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 that kind of movie like watch watch while it's inebriated but make sure it's wine drunk rather than anything else yeah. um, which um, is go on. speaking of what well I'm going to move things on actually because speaking of wine drunk I kind of think that of when I went to go and see my very first Oasis concert um, and who drinks wine at an Oasis get backs Oh my what? God! <laughs> I mean, surely, surely it's it, it's a couple of cans of Carling at an Oasis gig. Surely. I don't know how you go to gigs, but that's how I do it. <laughs> I don't know. Every time I go to a gig, it's always Red Stripe these days for some bizarre reason. But yes, of course, we're going to be talking about uh, Oasis Nebworth nineteen Oasis colon Nebworth nineteen ninety six, which. Uh, weird thing about this film, this is not the thing I was talking about earlier, I didn't realise this. Uh, first of all, it is a documentary rather than a concert mm. movie. Like, I have to be very specific about that. Uh, but also, it's directed by Jake Scott, which is a name I hadn't encountered in so long. He's the son of Tony, nephew of Ridley Scott. Oh, uh, he, amazing. And he directed, he, I think he wrote and directed Plunkett and McLean, one of my very favourite late 90s movies, which was around the time movie. of, yeah, which was like, you know, 98, 99, which means it was being developed around the time of this concert concert so ties in he has basically assembled the ultimate love letter to that weekend in 1996 in which the band who had produced two of the biggest albums in british music history and you know at least one that people still seem to agree is one of the best albums ever recorded took to the stage of nebworth to i think did it total out to a quarter of a million people or was it 125 yeah it was absolutely yeah. huge yeah absolutely <laughs> huge and they were they literally had to be helicoptered in the queue was a quarter mile long the build-up to it was just immense 
just electric. Life couldn't have got any better. I've got my boyfriend, got a lukewarm, semi-flat, plastic beaker full of lager, and I'm singing my heart out. I don't know why she's got a plastic beaker of, of lager. It's all about the wine. Um, it's all about the wine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, even just listening to that, I've got like mm. tingles, like going, take me back to that time. Um, is that, does it transport you back to the 90s? I've not even gotten to the best part. So first of all, yes, it absolutely does. And it also manages to be quite an inventive film in its own right. So first of all, what they've done, obviously, they, they're, they're very aware that if you put a movie about Nebworth out, Oasis, Nebworth, people, a lot of people do want just the concert movie. They're going to go and they just want to see the concert. So what they've done is they've given you the documentary and they've cleverly edited and structured it in such a way that you get every song and you get three quarters of that song or two thirds of that song. You get just the right amount of every performance and they they frame it in such a way that gives you this really wonderful chronicle this really in, enrapturing really all-encompassing immersive chronicle of just what it was like to you know to be part of that culture to, to be part of that crowd it was a the crowd went back a quarter of a mile so it wasn't the queue went back a quarter of a mile mm. and here's interesting and you learn so much about this just weird little things that you think oh my god like can you imagine uh, even if you're not a fan of oasis you will love this movie it's a really in, incredibly interesting movie but things that you just wouldn't learn otherwise bex the tickets for this concert and it is just, it's a concert in a field in 1996 mm -hmm. that yeah. had this many people turn up. They, they cost £22.50, right, these tickets. Do yeah. you know who the support acts for this? And bear in mind, oh my God. No. You, sat, you sat through an hour and a half to two hours. I've seen the track listing. The soundtrack, by the way, is being reissued, it's being released. The soundtrack of the entire, the, the performance of the concert is being released as a soundtrack in November, I think. Believe okay. me, I'm getting that on pre-order. And uh, the support acts before that 20-track Oasis set mm -hmm. consisted of, and I think this is the order they went in, the Prodigy, The Bootleg Beatles, The Manic Street Preachers, Ocean Colour Scene, The Charlatans, and I'm sure I'm forgetting someone. I and was you got say, all that. Forget, yeah. Are you forgetting the phonics? Were they in there, the stereophonics? Like, yeah, no, I, I don't, don't know. think the stereophonics had formed at that point. I think they were, oh, they were up and coming. But yeah, you had all that. And apparently the wow. Prodigy came on first and just owned the show. And everyone was worried that they would take, own, they would own it all too much. That they had stolen it too hard. And then, of course, every band that came on, it turned out, just kept topping. Oh, Chemical Brothers. I forgot the Chemical, chemical Brothers. Brothers. That was who I forgot. <gasps> yeah. Oh, chemical, my you, God. So yeah, you've got all of them. Chemical Brothers, Prodigy. Yeah. For 22 quid 50. I tell you, wow. I, I had this conversation with Maria Duarte and Zara Phelan who were like, yeah, that was about right for, you know, the midnight. And we're like, yeah. Do you know what? You oldies didn't know you were born. And do you know what? Everyone should watch this documentary. It's really, really great. It's just a brilliant, enrapturing documentary. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, it, it had me going back to Spotify and shuffling the entire Oasis discography. See this. It's brilliant. It's out in cinemas from today. It's getting a digital release in a few weeks' time as well. I can't recommend it highly enough. And the soundtrack's a must-have, I think.
Welcome back to Off Screen. So we're moving from the cinema and bringing you back onto the couch. Yep, we've got our list of all the days of the week covered with all of the top movies for you. Kicking off with a Western. Now, I don't normally like to pick out a Western, but I thought this one did particularly well. I was about to uh, say, who are you and what have you done with Paul Ross? You yeah, Western picker, you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I picked out True Grit, which is on ITV4 at nine o'clock on Saturday. And this was the debut of Hayley Steinfeld. She plays a 14-year-old. Yeah. yeah, she plays a 14-year-old whose father is killed. And so she hires, um, a sh- I don't know if she hires a sheriff. I think it's something similar to like, she hires a US marshal. Um, and they're joined by a Texas ranger to go and search for his killer. So this um, this did really well in award season, and it's obviously got not only Haley Seinfeld, who you, is the name that you recognise with it, but obviously Matt Damon's in this, as is Jeff Bridges, Josh Brolin's in this. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, it's a really, really great Western, and I'm not even a big Western fan. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think I haven't seen it in many years, but I really loved it when, I, when it came out. Um, I will say as well, I mean, you hit the nail on the head because you think of True Grit, the very first thing you think of now, I think, is Haley Steinfeld. Uh, mm. Second to her, obviously, is Jeff Bridges. But like, no one ever, no, no one to give us like Matt Damon any credit for True Grit, and like, no one's ever, no one's ever hyping up Damon for it. Like, but yeah. uh, let's let's talk about one that I think everyone has a favorite character in. I don't think any two people have the same favorite character. On Sunday afternoon, I didn't realize this was so low in the age rating spectrum that you could show this in the middle of the afternoon. But four thirty Sunday afternoon on Film Four, The Devil Wears Prada Vex. Of course, t- take this one away. We've got a clip, obviously, and it is one of the. Yeah the vintage Emily Blunt and Hathaway moments, but by all means, please. Well, actually, speaking of, of Emily Blunt, this is the film that put her on the map, which is brilliant. So this is this is the story of essentially an intern to a very Anna Wintour-esque Meryl <laughs> Streep uh, called Miranda Priestley. And it's just that journey of what happens when you work at essentially a place like Vogue. Uh, no, she called me in there and, and then she asked me about uh, Pier 59 and uh, there was something about Simone, Frankie, someone else. And um, she needs skirts from Calvin Klein. And uh, there was something about a pony. Did she say which skirts? No. Did she say what kind? No, Carla, yeah, I, I tried to ask her. You but never ask Miranda anything, right? I will deal with all of this and you will go to Calvin Klein. Uh, me? Oh, I'm sorry, do you have some prior commitment? Some hideous skirt convention you have to go to? Well, firstly, she's off to Kevin Klein, not Calvin Klein. Um, <laughs> but also... <laughs> um, <laughs> but also, look, this this movie, um, it's iconic. And nobody has watched this mm. movie more than Emily Blunt's husband, John Krasinski. I think he's watched <laughs> it, like, 200 times or something. Is this not... This is the one, didn't he fancy her? He fancied her from this movie, didn't he? That's the story. Like, he he yeah. met her and he's like, I yeah. had a crush on you. In... Yeah, and fair play to him. You know, she... I think this is uh, around the time... No, this was about 2005, 2006, wasn't it? Took a couple of years for this to catch on. It was as her star was rising, she turned down Black Widow in uh, Iron Man 2. What a different universe we could have uh, we could have lived in but um yeah devil wears prada what a, 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 Love a it. celebrated its 15th anniversary i think no. very recently it's 15 really? years old now and has of course become 
one of the modern classics. That and I think Mean Girls around the same yeah. time. That hit around yeah. the same time as Mean Girls. They both kind of got cemented very quickly as modern classics. And you can see it for yourself if you haven't had the pleasure or if you want to have the pleasure all over again because it's one of those people like to revisit. Sunday afternoon film four on uh, 4.30. Monday, I've, I've thrown you a wild card. This is my wild card for the mm. week, Vex. You know, every now and again, I like to pick out that weird little remake that's actually kind of good. Yes. I think it's underrated. It's such a wild the, card. This is Paramount, the Paramount Network, 9 p.m. Monday night. The 2004 remake of Flight of the Phoenix, which starred a young uh, Richard Attenborough, um, here is played by Giovanni Ribisi, if you can imagine that. <laughs> because that's who I think of. Who do you get for the remake yeah, of exactly. Part? Who's playing John Hammond? Let's get Giovanni Ribisi, sure. Uh, it also Crazy. stars... This is, this is the weirdest cast you've ever heard. This also stars Dennis Quaid, Hugh Laurie... I think, uh, is it Miranda Otto and Tyrese Gibson? Uh, okay, make of that okay. what you want. I'm not sure if Tim McInerney's, uh, Tim McInerney's not in McInerney? I've been Blackadder's not in this as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a weird, eclectic little film. Very good, though. It is a remake of the classic story, The Plane That Crashes in the Desert, the Mongolian Desert. The bandits are coming in, to they're, they're incoming, they can see them coming off on the horizon to raid them all. They have to rebuild plane from scratch actually using parts of the plane they have to build an entirely new plane in order to escape it's a fascinating film the remake is interesting it's it's cool it's got a lot it's got some quite cool set pieces a great uh, sequence with uh, uh, angel by massive attacks uh, massive attacks sorry yeah Massive attack, singular. What the hell is wrong with me? A Brit pop guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're too busy um, thinking of Oasis. <laughs> that's what it is, totally that. Um, but really great sequence to Massive Attack's uh, Angel, which uh, is, I think, one of the standout sequences. The worst scene, 9 o'clock, Monday night at Paramount. Uh, Tuesday night, 9 o'clock on ITV4, though. You picked this, and I couldn't be more happy that you did. Can I? I'm going to just lead into the clip on this one for yeah, time reasons. Fine. This is so good. So this is part of the Die Hard on a dot 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 trek trend of the early '90s. Uh, this is Die Hard on a U.S. naval carrier, U.S. naval warship. Terrorists take it, and the only man who can stop them is a hmm, in inverted commas or italics, cook, played by Steven Seagal. Man that did this is a professional. Who is he? And what's he doing running around loose on my battleship, Mr. Krill? Your battleship? You wouldn't be on this battleship if it wasn't for me. He's a cook, plain and simple. This is not the work of a cook. He came on board with a captain. I know his routine, front and back. He's good with cooking knives. Cooking knives! He got lucky. In my professional opinion, he is a military reject in command of a galley! Get in! And as you can probably tell from that clip, it has absolutely everything you want from a 90s action movie that is so in bonkers. Including the birthday cake <laughs> that every man dreams of being presented with, by the way. Yeah, there you go, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Steven Seagal, like, he, for me, was the epitome of these kind of movies back in the 90s. The, 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 the poster, it's him in his naval uniform with the ship in front of him. It's quite iconic. Um, and, yeah, why wouldn't the cook be able to defeat a bunch of terrorists and mercenaries? I mean, sure, why, could, why wouldn't that well, happen? That's... <laughs> I forget what the mythology... Because they made two of these. I forget what the mythology yeah. is. I think he's been dem temporarily demoted for punching out a, a superior or something or disobeying orders or something like that. But he's 
Casey Ryback, the ultimate black ops guy. They, they're not subtle yeah. about it. Like, for minute one, it's very, it's like, why is this chef? Yeah. Because <laughs> his catchphrase is, nobody beats me in the kitchen. But anyway, onto a, onto a movie that does onto a movie that also has a catchphrase uh, on great movies. Nine PM uh, Wednesday night. Once upon a time in Mexico, the third installment of the Mariachi trilogy that included Desperado. Antonio Banderas is the Mariachi. This time he gets yeah. involved in a, a CIA drug war type caper that stars Johnny Depp and features the catchphrase. Are you an American? Are you a Mexican or a Mexican't? Yeah. Yes, this is a movie that <laughs> happened. It was nice to see uh, the Mariachi back. It wasn't a great movie, but it was nice to no. you know spend some time with the Mariachi again. I think. I remember when this came out. Being a Robert Rodriguez fan, I was like, "Wow, I've got to see it." You know, love Desperado, yeah. loved El Mariachi, and then yeah, this one kind of fell slightly by, by the wayside. And I think there was a lot of hype because Johnny Depp was involved in this. Mm. But actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it, yeah. you know, uh, just to complete the trilogy, I think if you haven't visited it in a while, go watch this movie. But obviously, Desperado is the big one that you want to be watching out three. Two, two things that really date this movie. First of all, this is the last time that I can remember opening a newspaper, seeing an ad for a movie, and it said previews tonight, and then just going to the cinema after work and seeing nice. it. Like, last nice. time I can remember like getting that information from a newspaper. The other thing is, comparatively, in 2003, having Johnny Depp joined join the cast of your third movie for like you know the Mariachi Part Three was lit the literal equivalent of like Dwayne Johnson joining Fast Five. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah literally, yeah. a franchise Viagra. Fast Five. That that was, it was it, that that exact equation. That's what Johnny Depp was doing, and and yeah. So worth checking out. Another one that did play like kind of an all star thing was Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is on BBC Four. Because what other channel would you put? How perfectly suited <laughs> yeah. is it? You know, uh, yeah. nine p.m. on Thursday. Nine p.m. Thursday, BBC Four. Everything about this fits the movie, doesn't it? Tinker yeah. Tailor Soldier Spy adaptation of the John Le Carre novel. Do you remember the name of the director? I can't remember. Thomas Alfredson. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember. All I remember about this is obviously the film itself, but it did, it picked up some awards generally for this, I BAFTA think. BAFTA friendly, um, I think, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, very BAFTA friendly. And, and for a sort of spy-based BBC4 kind of movie, <laughs> it does everything you want it to do. And it's, you know, it got a lot of hype actually for it, didn't it? It did, yeah. Well, it's because it was it was Gary Oldman. It was it was it was, yeah. you know, that that roster of talent do, doing this story because it was it was mm. regarded as prestige anyway because of the 70s, you know, uh, BBC. Yeah, exactly. Worth saying, another one that I, I expected to be prestige, but it wasn't. And this is our Friday night film for the week is uh, we don't speak his name very often for somewhat controversial reasons but yet Brian Singer helmed this uh, once upon a time this was 2008-2009 Valkyrie starring Tom Cruise Ken Branagh it's the story of uh, Colonel von Stauffenberg and uh, the plot to assassinate Hitler this was the plot from within uh, the Nazi party itself this this was a collective a secret cabal of uh, high of high ranking Nazi officers who weren't necessarily on the side of Hitler. They they feared Hitler as much as everyone else, evidently, and they wanted him out the way because they could see which way the war was going. And they had the, the very the very realistic notion that Hitler was going to get them all killed. So they came up with an idea to take him out, like literally from within, to basically plant an explosive device in Hitler's briefcase and kill him. And the man they chose to do this was a one-eyed colonel played here by Tom Cruise. And I will explain that in order to do that, they employ one of my favorite gimmicks ever at the beginning of this movie. And I've only ever seen it used in The Hunt for Red October with Sean Connery. 
in which you begin the movie with the voiceover in the actual language, so in this case in German, and then the voiceover aud- sort of audibly blurs into yes. English so yeah. as to explain why everyone's got a different accent, including Tom Cruise, who has a very distinct accent and a very different one from Kenneth Branagh. There's been a confusing respect with popularity. The army swore an oath, an oath that won't just die with Hitler. What are you gonna do? How are we gonna deal with Goebbels, Himmler, the SS? They will wipe you out. It doesn't matter. It only matters that we act now before we lose the war. Otherwise, this will always be Hitler's Germany. And we have to show the world that not all of us were like him. That is not enough for me. There has to be a chance of success. Then find a way. There we go. I always remember this movie as Tom Cruise in the eye patch um, and his Nazi <laughs> uniform. That's how I always remember it. Um, so that rounds off a big week in movies, actually. Some great great picks for you mm. there. So we're going to bring you right back in just a moment with all of our picks on DVD, Blu-ray and streaming. But for now, stick with us. We'll be back in a sec. Welcome back for One Last Ride Off Screen. So, well, I mean, as is happening more and more often, uh, you know, these days with uh, DVD and Blu-ray, there's, there's nothing out this week, really. So uh, let's move on to streaming then and talk about... Uh, <laughs> again, nothing really new on streaming this next week. Um, I, I get the, the, the impression that everything's being, like, kept quiet for, for Bond. Because, you know, yeah. next week, time to die, finally, next week. I don't think they had much choice but making it time to die, and we've got that to look forward to. And uh, so, you know, even there's nothing out really in cinemas, there's nothing really out on streaming either. So, but we have got some older older movies that are coming to streaming platforms, and Amazon Prime's got three of them uh, from the last few years, uh, going as far back as 2008. But we're going to start in, I think, 2018 with The Kitchen which was an adaptation of, I think, a Vertigo comic about three women who are effectively 1970s Brooklyn kind of mob wives and mob girlfriends, Mm. like low-level street crime, uh, you know, spouses, effectively, whose partners all get, I think, they're locked up, and they decide to go into business themselves, and they become the local loan sharks. It stars Melissa McCarthy, Elizabeth Moss, and Tiffany Haddish. Yes. And you're... Yes, you're having that, that that look on your face. Like, so, like, do I remember this exactly? Do you remember this? Let me let me give you the clip, and we'll see if it jogs your memory further. Now might be the time. For what? For you. Our husbands have 24 months left on their sentences. Sorry, baby. This is the Irish mob, organized crime. We're gonna take care of you. You girls are gonna be just fine. We got no money. Can't even make the rent with what they gave me last night. They didn't want me in the family in the first place. 40 years we pay protection and we don't get nothing for it. They have been telling us forever that we are never gonna do anything but have babies. Bunch of men that have forgotten what family means. So we remind them. You know what, I've definitely seen this film and I remember enjoying it. Yeah, I remember enjoying it, but I... Don't remember don't anything remember it. specific <laughs> about it. Yeah, exactly. it is exactly one of those that you're like, that was... I, all right, I guess. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was perfectly fine. Like, you know, yeah. Melissa McCarthy, they're all doing something slightly different. Arguably, the only one playing to type in this one is uh, Elizabeth Moss. 
mm. and that's and you know that's getting into uh, a whole other conversation about the roles that Elizabeth Moss picks, which at one point are both empowering and demeaning at the same time. But whole thing. Anyway, uh, you can see that on Amazon Prime from Monday the 27th. The day before, you can also see on Amazon Prime, Be Kind Rewind, which I don't know if you remember, if you remember this one, this was a bit of a cult fave. Michelle Gondry directing and writing, I believe, yep. it starred Jack Black and uh, Moe's Death. And they are the video store friends who accidentally magnetize all the videotapes and have to replace them. But of course, replace them with their own personally staged reenactments of popular movies, which then gain a cult following all of their own. And basically, it's just a sort of fun you know, exercise in what became known as Sweding, of, you know, basically doing sort of cardboard cutout reenactments of your, your favorite movies. Did you see this at the time? I think I did again like I think it was I know Michelle Gondry is kind of of that that time which like you know Chris Cunningham Michelle Gondry few others sort of were making their sort of directorial stance in a way and I remember following them all quite closely so I will have watched it for that reason has it stuck in my mind no unfortunately not but um you know even with Jack Black in it I thought it would have you know stood out he's hard to miss um (laughs) but uh yeah I the the title rings a bell but not the film no that's fair enough well one that did stick out but got kind of overlooked at award season uh, comes the day after those on Wednesday the 29th this month on Amazon Prime it is Selma which is coming to streaming on Prime and this was the one do you remember this is the one that year there's one every year, isn't there? You just yeah, go, how yeah, in I know the say. hell? How in the hell does the Academy exist and this this somehow got overlooked? Like, um, what? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why. Hashtag Oscars so white. Like That was that year. It was that year, wasn't it? Yeah. It was that year, yeah. Mm. So, you know, this is the epitome of that movement of, of you know, it was so ridiculous that David Oyelowo... Oh, he, he has a he has a thing on on YouTube. If you you can YouTube it, uh, in which he instructs you to say O, oh, the colour yellow, and then O. Oh. That's how yeah. he tells you to do it phonetically. Because I I had to interview him once for a, a movie called Captive, I think, and uh, I had to look it up in advance. I didn't want to get caught out like by accident because I had that happen to me once with Ralph Einstein. Because I said innocent, he's like no, it's Einstein. I'm like oh okay, and uh, yeah, so it's oh oh yellow oh oh yellow oh yellow oh yellow oh that's fine oh yellow oh oh yellow oh but he he does such an amazing amazing performance in this got absolutely nothing the controversy was rife Mm. and absolutely rightly so and you know what you said you've talked about this movie more than you've seen it (laughs) and I think you know that's the thing there is so many talking points with this movie it's Ava Mm. DuVernay isn't it the, so Ava DuVernay, that was the thing as well, because she was yeah. she was the rising star at that moment, wasn't she? And she got and, nothing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. And, and of course, but that's the thing. If, if you go back in time, if we could go back in time to, you know, just the year before that and, you, and, and tell ourselves, next year, the Academy is going to overlook a movie directed by, written and directed by Ava DuVernay, starring David Oyelowo as Martin Luther King. They're going to overlook that movie. We'd have told you you were out of your mind. And do you know what? If you played this clip for us, we'd have, we'd have just we'd have known we'd have known you were nuts for sure. We'd have been wrong, but we'd have thought it. As long as I am unable to exercise my constitutional right to vote, I do not have command of my own life. I cannot determine my own destiny, for it is determined for me by people who would rather see me suffer than succeed. Yes. Those 
those that have gone before us say, no more, no more. That means protest. That means march. That means disturb the peace. That means jail. That means risk. And that is hard. We will not wait any longer. Give us the vote. That's right. No more. We're not asking, we're demanding. Give us the vote! Man, I loved him in this movie. Do you know what? I am going to rewatch. The only reason I have not rewatched Selma in the sort of things five years now since it's come out is because I saw it two or three times when it came out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it, and I'm almost afraid that it's not going to live up to it. So you know, I have that. I have that fear, but I'm going to revisit it. I, I just absolutely adore uh, David. It's the performance, performance of his career. It's it, also like, it was incredible. Uh, Tim Roth. As the governor, as the the villain of the piece, as the governor is tremendous. Tim Roth on fine, slimy villain. Who does slimy villain like Tim Roth? You know, when Tim Roth got that flop sweat going, you know what I mean? I I, I always sort of think Tim Roth, Gabriel Byrne. I think the two of them do yeah. very slimy villains really, really well. <laughs> you know, the ones that you really despise. Yeah, they yeah. do that quite well. Like end of days, really Gabriel Byrne as the as the devil and Tim Roth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We are Selma. So that's The Kitchen on Prime on Monday. Be Kind Rewind on Prime on Tuesday. Selma on Prime on uh, Wednesday. So... You know, that's, that's three for three days. All on Prime next week then. So, uh, yeah, straight. Do you know what it is? It's because the listings uh, for next month haven't come out yet because it's an awkward time in the month. And uh, Friday is the 1st of October, so it's just hit in such a way that they've not released next month's listings yet because the Friday the 1st yeah. will be uh, Disney Plus release day as well, so I don't know what they've got planned. Did you know, by the way, that Black Widow comes free streaming on Prime on the 6th, on Wednesday the 6th? Really? Something God, like you'd be gutted if you paid all the extra money to watch it, wouldn't you? And, and Shang-Chi's, Shang-Chi is like November 12th, apparently, something like that. Yeah. Wowzers. Wow. Right, anyway, well, that about sums it up for uh, this week off screen, but uh, we've got more to come next week. In the meanwhile, I've been Van Connor. And I've been Bex Perfect, and we shall return. <laughs> <laughs>